Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Aw, he's so soft. Come here, come here, boy. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. In this, my first broadcast of the 2014 season. Started a little late this year for good reason. Once a year, I try to get out to the North American Veterinary Conference. Veterinary conferences are uh, place, uh, they're, they're events that we go to where many series of lectures are given by experts in the field, mostly board-certified specialists, innovations from, out of uh, veterinary colleges and universities, all kinds of new stuff that we learn about medicine, veterinary medicine, diagnostics, new equipment available, emerging new diseases, infectious disease, all kinds of things. Not always veterinarians that we're hearing from. What I'm going to discuss with you today actually came from a uh, veterinary pathologist, which technically is a a veterinarian, but this is a veterinarian that graduates and never really works with a live patient. A veterinary pathologist works with the dead patient and also analyzes samples to help us diagnose disease. But essentially, they're working with tissue samples. They're reading cells on cytology. They are trying to figure out cause of death on postmortem examination. And one of the very important things they do is educate us about infectious disease, disease in general, and its effects on the body. This particular pathologist gave me some not just me specifically, there's about 100 other, 100 other veterinarians in the lecture, but incredible insights on vector-borne disease. And when I say vector-borne disease, I'm referring to insects that transfer disease. So there's a number of diseases out there. We all know that not all of us, but most of us are aware of the fact that people can catch malaria from mosquitoes, for example, Another major mosquito disease that not everyone is quite so aware of in dogs and cats is heartworm, as actually transmitted via the bite of a, a, an infected mosquito. So there's a lot of diseases out there that are transmitted through vectors, and that's what we're going to be talking about because there's new diseases, there's variants of existing diseases, it's very troubling, very concerning, and please stay tuned because this, is, this, this could also affect the human members of your family. We're seeing variants that are crossing host species at this point, meaning the definitive host that the infection ultimately proliferates in is changing. We're seeing cats being infected with dog diseases, dogs being infected with cat diseases, and people being infected with dog and cat diseases, and that's where things get troubling. So stay tuned. We've got a lot to talk about. I um, want to mention that this is a live call-in show. The number is 877-878-1435. That is a toll-free number. Repeat that one more time, 877-878-1435. And for those of you watching directly from my show page, it's right there in my profile. Another way to contact us is through email. If you want to email me a question, you're a little shy, don't want to get live on the air, have your voice heard, you can write to me. 
The email address is comments at web-dvm.net, comments at web-dvm.net. You email me a question or comment, and I address it live on the air. So um, Happy New Year, everybody. I know it's a little belated. Uh, coming, we're coming to you from the Florida Space Coast, as we always do. That is the place where I live and practice in the Cape Canaveral area, and uh, very excited to talk to you this entire year. Um, again, as my my season finale, I had indicated how how blessed I really feel to have such such a great fanship, and the fact that people take the time to listen to the things I have to say. It's just absolutely extremely flattering, and I thank you for being fans. I also want you to help me, though, folks. I want you to take this information and tell other pet owners, spread it, disseminate it, Please do this because lives could be at stake, especially with what we're talking about tonight. So the first thing I want to say is I don't want to minimize the effect of external parasites, meaning these insects that live on and feed off of dogs and cats. I don't want to minimize their direct effect of the skin and hair coat. The itchiness and discomfort can be absolutely tormenting to a pet. The infections that can ensue from the inflammation associated with the bites can be devastating, can be dangerous in their own right because we can't we can't just throw out antibiotics randomly at these things anymore. We're having to culture skin now because we're getting all kinds of resistant bacteria. And one of the best ways they become resistant if you don't take care of the inciting problem. If if a dog keeps getting staph infections because it's got fleas and ticks feeding on it all the time, Eventually, you keep throwing antibiotics at this case without dealing with the flea and tick problem, you're, you're going to have serious problems because eventually the antibiotics aren't going to work anymore. And we run to them useless for that patient and other patients. So I don't want to minimize the direct effect on the skin. However, the systemic effect, meaning the diseases that they can be injecting, inoculating into your pets, that's what I want to talk about today because this, this can be extremely dangerous. So... I think many pet owners are aware of the fact that there are tick-borne diseases out there. There is Lyme disease. It probably has the most notoriety. And we know people can get Lyme disease. We're not going to catch it from our dogs, but we're going to catch it from the ticks that feed on dogs. It'll accidentally feed on us. And they carry the infective organism in their belly. It's a bacteria. So there's Lyme disease, but there's also Ehrlichia. Ehrlichia is a Lyme disease-like organism. And then there's Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Those are pretty much the three most well-known in veterinary medicine. But hold your horses. There's more now. We're seeing an increase in a bacterial tick-borne disease called anaplasmosis. And now we're seeing one called babesiosis. These were These used to be considered pretty rare, but now... Bobesia and anaplasmosis are increasing in commonality, and that's very troubling because Bobesia especially is very hard to get rid of. Anaplasma has variants that can infect humans, and it's just becoming increasingly difficult to control these things. So one of the things that we in the past were able to count on was the fact that each individual insect or type of insect, even individual types of ticks kind of were associated with their own disease. So Lyme disease was associated with the Izodes species, also commonly known as the deer tick. 
Ehrlichia was commonly associated with the Ameri- or the, the brown dog tick, the very uh, uh, common, probably the most common tick that we see out there is the, the brown dog tick. And then there's Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever that was most uh, closely associated with the dermacenter species of tick. So that would be the Rocky Mountain, uh, the Rocky Mountain wood tick was one of them. Another one was the American dog tick. And those are both dermacenter species. So, you know, we had these diseases in different geographical parts of the country prevalent in different areas geographically because of the fact that there's more of these types of ticks, generally speaking, in various geographic areas. So, for example, when I worked up in Long Island, New York, as my in my first veterinary job, we had lots of ticks there. Specifically, we had lots of deer ticks everywhere. So that was a hotbed for Lyme disease. We saw a lot of it in dogs and in people. I was constantly treating Lyme disease. Whereas Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, hence its name, was more a western to midwest mountain range type uh, area disease because that's where those ticks were most prevalent. And then there's the Ehrlichia species where it was the, the brown dog tick that we saw mainly Virginia and south in the southeastern part of the United States. So that was more a southeastern disease. And the further you got towards my neck of the woods here, Florida, the more prevalent you saw Ehrlichia. The other thing was that uh, probably the most dangerous disease transmitted by fleas is a disease called Bartonella. That's another bacteria. Now, Bartonella causes a number of different syndromes in cats from severe gingival or gum disease to persistent bladder infections. Uh, we can see all manner of different syndromes. They can, they can get upper respiratory infections. Sometimes it's a combination of these things, and it's very hard to get rid of. Uh, we're, there's still a lot of ongoing research about Bartonella, but here's what's troubling about Bartonella. People can get it. So it's commonly known as catch scratch fever. It can make people very ill, and you don't necessarily need a scratching fractious cat to get cat scratch fever. I can't tell you how often I have one of my own cats laying on me and he jumps up, you know, suddenly because he hears a noise and he scratches me by accident. He didn't mean to hurt me, but it happens. happens all the time. Sometimes, you know, I don't know if you have any of you have kitties that make biscuits on you. Sometimes my cats in their, especially one in particular forest, in their, in their zeal to be affectionate will start getting a little overzealous with the making biscuits and as a result accidentally scratch. Luckily, uh, my cats don't carry Bartonella, I don't think. Two reasons. I have them on very aggressive and consistent flea control. Uh, Number two, I've never gotten cat scratch fever, so I think I can kind of confidently say that um, my cats don't carry that particular disease, but a lot do. Fleas actually prefer cats. It is the, the the Latin name of the flea that is associated with feeding on dogs and cats is tenocephalides felis. Felis meaning it is the cat flea. It will readily feed on dogs, can proliferate on dogs, but given a choice, it would rather have a cat. Uh, so, so that's a big problem. Uh, so Bartonella can infect people and it can be particularly dangerous particularly dangerous uh, when you're dealing with the very young, the very old, or those who are immune-suppressed, HIV patients, cancer patients, what have you. So 
it's kind of true of all of these things. And, and here's what's, what's troubling. That I, when I sat through this talk, I was just flabbergasted. You have variants now of Lyme that are showing up in other types of ticks other than just the, the deer ticks. So the Latin name of, of the bacteria that causes Lyme disease is Borrelia burgdorferi. Well, there's other Borrelias now out there. There's not just burgdorferi. They're going to cause the same Lyme-type syndrome, but uh, the disease is going to be very similar. Sometimes it's a little worse, a little more virulent. The problem is it's showing up in other ticks. So whereas we used to only see it in the deer tick, now we're seeing some of these variants in, in, in the brown dog tick. And with Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, you're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing it in brown dog ticks and in deer ticks. And Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, very troublingly, has a variant that people are very susceptible to. We all know that people are susceptible to Lyme. And Ehrlichia, which you know is in the literature having been known to rarely cause disease in people, is now not so rare. There's variants of Relichia now that can cause disease in people. And that's very troubling because these are very serious diseases. These types of bacteria that live in the bellies of these ticks have a very, very uncanny ability to escape our natural defenses. They can actually hide in the very tissues that are responsible for fighting disease. So they can hide in places like the lymph nodes. They can hide in places like the tonsils. They can hide in the spleen, because the spleen is a blood storage organ, but it's also kind of a giant lymph node that acts as a blood filter. These bacteria can hide in these places, and they can become chronic and very challenging to clear. Sometimes we're talking six weeks of antibiotic therapy to clear these organisms, and even then sometimes we get relapses. And Ehrlichia is probably the most notorious for that, where you'll clear it, the dog will see fine for a year, and suddenly, boom, out of nowhere, they, they're seemingly reinfected. Well, they're probably not reinfected. Most people, after their dog gets that sick from a tick-borne disease, most people are going to get serious about tick control. But, you know, because of that, it's not likely that the dog got reinfected. It's likely that it was, the, the organism was never completely cleared to begin with. And all it, all it takes is one little measly little microscopic bacteria left in, in, in some deep tissue somewhere to surface at another time, to invade another day. So we have, what you know, long story short at this point, what does all this mean? Well, it means that we have diseases now that are getting spread out over, wide, over a wider geographic area. Great example of this is when I first moved here to Florida in 2004, Lyme disease in this area was virtually unheard of. Well, guess what? I'm seeing a couple of cases a year now. We went from unheard of, something we barely even considered a possibility, to now something that I'm taking seriously when I have a patient showing clinical signs. It's likewise, we're seeing, I, saw, I actually saw a case of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, back to see that in Florida, it's a Jack Russell Terrier. That's trouble when we're starting to see things like this in a place where they're just not supposed to be. And then lastly, we're seeing an increase in ehrlichiosis, ehrlichia being uh, the one carried previously only carried by the brown dog tick. So we got all these things happening, wider spread geographic area. We have more variants. So here's what I'm not uncommonly presented with. Dog comes in, he's got a really big fever, 105, 106 temperature, has the history of tick exposure, has all of the common clinical signs, 
has the changes in the blood work that are consistent with a tick-borne disease, but no, you know, you run a whole gamut of infectious disease testing and they come up negative. Well, there's good reason for that. There's so many variants out there and new ones popping up of these diseases. We're lacking some diagnostic capability in actually confirming the diagnosis. And that's very troubling. So, you know, essentially, I have a case that looks like tick disease, feels like tick disease, acts like tick disease, yet I can't prove it. So some of these cases, I just treat them with the antibiotic of choice for these, most of the time of which is doxycycline, and they get better. And there's only one explanation for that. This was a tick-borne disease, an infection that came by through a tick, infected my patient, whose testing did not reveal it. And that's very troubling, escaping our radar. And who knows when this is going to stop. At some point, there's going to be so many variants, people won't be able to afford to test for them. So back in the day when I first graduated, 2002, 2003, it was fairly simple. When you, when you, when you suspected tick-borne disease, you ran a three-panel titer. A titer is where you're looking for the patient making antibodies to a particular infectious disease. If the titer is positive, the clinical signs match, voila, we have the disease. It was only a three-titer test. Three titers, basic titers were Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, one variant, Ehrlichia, one variant, Ehrlichia canis it was, and Borrelia burgdorferi, which is Lyme disease. So then it progressed to, well, we got all, we, you know, we have a lot more variants of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever and Ehrlichia. So now there's, there's, we're, we're doing, you know, a six or seven titer test. And now we have to do what we call a comprehensive tick profile where we're testing for all the known variants of Ehrlichia, which now there's so many, I can't even, I can't even spout them out to you right now. All the variants of Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, the new variants that we're seeing in Lyme, in addition to anaplasmosis and its variant, in addition to Babesia, folks, you're talking about a 300-some dollar test because of what it takes to test for all these things. Very troubling. Then there's Bartonella in cats. Bartonella, we used to believe, was only transmitted by fleas. But guess what? Either because of mutations that have occurred in the bacteria itself or maybe we're just gathering new information, whatever the case. Bartonella we're now seeing evidence that it's actually transmitted also not just by fleas, but by mosquitoes and ticks. Very, very concerning stuff because Bartonella can make cats very sick, could make people even sicker. And with all of now this variance leading to an increase in human susceptibility, the time has never been more urgent for pet owners to be serious about pest control. And I'm not talking about the over-the-counter crap that you can buy, you know, at at your retail pet store down the road. I'm talking about vet- veterinary-grade stuff that we know works, veterinary-grade stuff that we know is safe. Those two most important things. Number one, they work. Number two, they're safe. Not in that order. You can't have one without the other. We're not going to be killing a patient for the sake of protecting them from ticks and fleas. That's not going to work. But at the same time, we don't want to use something super safe. That doesn't work, right? And then you see some of these things in the pet stores that don't work, and they're not safe. Okay, so stay away from those products. Talk to your veterinarian about a, you know, a real comprehensive protocol, and don't be in denial, folks. You know, I, I it's it, it's 
become like the same old story for me all these years I've been practicing medicine now. Let's see. In Feb- in February 2nd, it'll be, uh, let's see, 12 years I will have been practicing. God, that flew. That's crazy to say. But 12 years I've been practicing veterinary medicine. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'm going through the history. Uh, even if it's just a yearly examination, I'm going through the history. Is your pet on heartworm preventive? Is your pet on flea and tick preventive? Oh, no, he doesn't get fleas. He doesn't get ticks. Oh, okay. Okay. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten that answer. And ultimately, I run a comb through the dog or the cat. And there's fleas everywhere. Because the cat or dog may be a certain color that hides them very well. And or, you know, animals, as I, I say time and again, suffer silently. So they don't see them itching as much as other dogs and cats would itch. And some of them are a little bit more resilient to the effects of the bites in terms of losing hair and, you know, breaking out infections. So people just assume, oh, my pet doesn't get fleas. My pet doesn't get ticks. Well, I can't tell you how many ticks I've picked out of pets as well. See, I know the places to look between the toes, in the ears. Ticks like warm, dark places. I know where to run that comb to find fleas. They love the butt area, the tail base, good feeding grounds. They love the neck and cats. So, you know, I know the places. And, I, and then I say to the people, well, here you go. And then some of them will say to me, well, they must have caught that here because they didn't have that at home. No, ma'am, I'm sorry. Your, your, your cat could not possibly have picked up 40 fleas in the 10 minutes it's been my, in my waiting room. The way it works is this many fleas, it takes months to get this many fleas because the flea gets on, a flea feeds, it lays eggs. Those let eggs are born, the larvae hatch. I'm sorry, the eggs hatch into larvae, the larvae fall off, they develop into pupa, the pupa then hatch into adult fleas, the fleas jump on the pet, so on and so forth until they proliferate and increase their numbers to the point that you're going to see that many fleas. So, sorry. I can buy, they picked up one flea, but when I comb out 30, 40 fleas, sorry. Same with ticks. I'll pull off an engorged tick. This thing, like, is so fat that it looks like it's going to explode, and they'll say, oh, they must have picked that up in here. No. It takes a tick a week to get this engorged with blood. This tick didn't just attach 10 minutes ago in my waiting room, so don't be in denial. Don't be one of those people, because it makes no sense. Whether you believe you have a problem or not, you should be aggressively treating ectoparasites, external, external parasites, comprehensively and consistently, and through the winter, right? You have warm, cozy homes that your pets live indoors with you. They can overwinter in these environments. So don't think that winter is your saving grace. Does it help? Yes, it's not your saving grace. So think about this. When you're being proactive and preventive, we understand that Not only these ectoparasites are a topical menace, and they're a hygiene menace. You don't want them in your house. Gross. Okay? But they are also now a major infectious disease menace. Infectious diseases that not only could kill your pet, but could do serious harm to your family, if not kill some of your family members as well, meaning your human family members. Knowing this, why not be proactive and preventive? Why is it that so many people, when it comes to preventing from fleas and ticks, Why is it that they have to wait until there's a serious infestation and or serious disease to be urged into doing something about it? Would you wait 
until your dog was bitten by a rabid, rabies-infested raccoon before giving him that rabies shot to protect your family, to protect your pet? Would you wait till then? Would you wait to give the Parvo vaccine until your dog is blowing bloody diarrhea and is in a near comatose state from Parvo infection? Is that where you're going to give the vaccine? Right? So when we're being preventive, think of it as no differently as doing immunizations. You're preventing disease. You're keeping these little troublesome critters out of your home, out of your life. And you're also saving yourself a hell of a lot of money probably. Like I told you, a tick test is an upwards of $300 here in Florida. I can't imagine what it is in New York or L.A., places like that, Chicago. You know, So we're talking about a huge expense. We're talking about the loss of a beloved pet. We're talking about people potentially getting sick. So don't go on an online forum. Don't go to dogster.com or someplace where you want to chat with other, other pet owners. Your veterinarian is in the best position to tell you what the best protocol is to prevent these pests from entering your life, entering your pet's life. See, we're privy to all this information. I just got back from a veterinary conference, and what the veterinary conference has taught me, what's the latest and greatest stuff out there? What do I know from my own experience? What is the safest stuff? What's going to give us our most comprehensive approach? To preventing these critters? What is the most cost effective? I know all these things. I know all these things because I studied them. Because not only did I just sit through five days, eight hours a day of a veterinary conference, I'm constantly bombarded with journal materials, literature, and I go on a my own forum called the Veterinary Information Network. It's like a Google for vets. It's amazing, and we can consult with specialists, and we're constantly being bombarded with updated information, and that's what you pay us for. So, folks, talk to your veterinarian. Talk to the veterinary staff, the medical team. Don't get this information from your breeder. Don't get this information from some person du jour who you like online on some dog forum. Unfortunately, too many of those people are one of the worst forms of misinformation. They're going to tell you, don't listen to your vet. They want to poison your dog with those chemicals. Give him brewer's yeast. Give him garlic in his food. That is going to prevent fleas. I will tell you emphatically, it will not. Because <laughs> if it did work, I'd be pushing it like there was no tomorrow. It doesn't work. Among many other things that people do, they put vinegar in their pet's water, all these crazy stuff, and all you got to do is, here, give him this pill. <laughs> it's really safe. Look at all the safety data. Only only one in 50 million dogs has had a problem with it. Look, look at that. It's great. <laughs> you know, don't worry about it. Or or here, how? Try the try this topical here. It's so safe that they actually force-fed 100 times the dose to rats and nothing bad happened. Go ahead and use it. Hey, look, this has been used for the last 5 years in dogs and cats and there's not been one one uh, reported incidence of toxicity or even a, an allergic reaction at the site of application, right? This is the stuff you want to know about, not fad stuff, okay? So spread the word, like I said. This I, I learned a lot of stuff at this conference, so tune in for the rest of this year because I my next one is going to be a nutrition lecture. Things that we previously thought we knew that um, – new research and new developments have actually changed our thinking 
and some of it is stuff that I've talked about on the air that's just we know now not to be true, okay? So I have to evolve with the times just like everybody else. And when I've been previously misunderstanding something because the profession was misunderstanding something because the data didn't really provide us the explanation correctly and new new, uh, research techniques have, have enabled us to better gather information and new information comes available that we should be doing things differently. I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to be sharing a lot of that stuff with you in the next few months. So um, like I said, stay tuned. Now, this is all, a lot of it's going to be new information. And I would like you to pass it along. Be one of the informed ones so you can teach others. So we're making this world a safer place for our pets and therefore a safer place for our families. Thank you very much for tuning in. Again, happy belated New Year. I look forward to talking to you again throughout the year. As always, I remind you to check out my blog at web-dvm.net. I blog a lot more often than I podcast, uh, so there's a lot more out. I have a lot more time to write than I do to be in a studio talking, so um, please do check out web-dvm.net. Have a great night, everybody, and I'll talk to you next time. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.